I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show really nice waveforming you guys (laughs) creepy (laughs) well but especially apt (laughs) so many so many so many damn books uh yeah i uh welcome to so many damn books i'm christopher i'm drew and in the damn library today we have mark da silva author of square wave uh mark you hold degrees in philosophy and uh it from brown and cambridge yes and you served on the editorial staff of the new york times opinion page yeah for a few years for a few years and now you freelance for their sunday as magazine, a, as yeah, actually, as a checker, as a research editor. Oh, interesting! Oh, cool. Because it it pays relatively well, and you can work two weeks and have two weeks off. And the book was written under different conditions. That was the five a.m. to eight a.m. every day really? while working at the Times, and that was not. <sighs> so, that's stressful, right? Yeah. That's, uh, so <laughs> that's I had some four, added I did stress. it for four years, and then I was like, "There's got to be another way." And what's interesting though is I, I actually. I quit the job slightly before the book sold. So I was already thinking like, I can't do this. So let me not make it an excuse. I sold it and quit. I was just like, enough. <laughs> wow. Wow. We're, we're probably getting to other things. Uh, but I do want to know if, if, the, if your job at the Times, you know, influenced the book at all. Did it, did it end I up wonder. like That's a good question. No a, one has asked me that. Um, uh, I mean, my colleagues influenced me because they're just like super brainiacs, just really learned. I mean, there's like uh, a couple of Rhodes Scholars on the floor, a Marshall Scholar, a Stegner Fellow in particular, who was sort of influential (laughs) and, uh, you know, talking to me about books every day. So it was almost just having the kind of brain trust that one would sort of guess a place like the Times kind of has. And and it, it does have that. And there are just people you wouldn't expect doing weird jobs that, you know, even just like clerical jobs that actually have like advanced degrees and are super wow. serious people. So yeah. I, in a way, just having this, this sort of water cooler chat there is like, <laughs> this is like very literary and very <laughs> weird. I can talk about obscure books and stuff. I think that's the biggest influence. I, I don't think in any, any, um, this any bleed through in terms of character or anything else like that. Hmm. Let me uh, tell you about what we're drinking. Um, we're drinking a uh, what I'm calling the dark and particularly stormy, um, like because that. it's it's not just uh, dark rum and ginger beer. I've also um, muddled some fresh ginger, as well as put a little bit of a um, a ginger liqueur to sort of up the ginger quotient even a little more, and then uh, 
fresh lime juice in the thing, stirred up, and then you add your ginger beer. And that's what we're drinking in the studio. So pause, go outside, go buy all the, that stuff. And now that we're back, <laughs> why don't we uh, talk about... What'd you buy? What'd you buy? Uh, Christopher, let's start with you. Start with me? Okay. Um, my parents uh, sent me a book in the mail, uh, Calvin by Martine Levitt. Um, it's an FSG young adult book, I believe, which is about a, a kid who grew up sort of similarly to Calvin from the strip, Calvin and Hobbes. His like parents gave him a tiger when he was a kid. And uh, like a stuffed tiger, not a real one. <laughs> um, and then it, it t- sort of takes place in his adolescence where he realizes he's schizophrenic and he's having a schizophrenic break. And he decides he has to go find Bill Watterson who will help him like come out of what's, what's gripping him. And originally when I first came across this book, I was like, I'm mad at this because I think anything that sort of like piggybacks on on Calvin and Hobbes, yes. like I'm yeah. super against because like Bill Waterston is against no, that. Right. Um, but I actually do think this is kind of an interesting thing of just like how much can life and art, you know, combine where if you if you read this comic strip as a kid and your name is Calvin, like you would end up. My parents almost named me Calvin. <laughs> and I've always wondered, like, what would my life have been like? You would have fallen in love with a girl named Susie. And I probably would have had a stuffed tiger. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be better or worse off. <laughs> I'm going to say better. Mark, what did you, uh, what did you buy this mm. week? And around is, it, is, it, is it a book you've had to have already finished reading? No. Uh, no, okay. I haven't read it at all. It okay. came to me today. Well, I won't be able to summarize it quite as eloquently as you. You <laughs> summarize your book, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you as far as I've gotten. It's um, a book by uh, Zachary Lazar, or Lazar, I don't know how you pronounce his name exactly. Um, it's called Sway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it came out maybe 2000, around there. It's like something like that, and um, maybe a little later. And it's a sort of weird, in a way, it, it's funny that I'm coming to it now because it's a little bit like does some of the things I guess that that I was trying to do in my book it mixes uh the uh sort of whole like tropes and, and subject matter this uh it's sort of a quasi biography of the rolling stones mixed oh. with like the manson family and that whole history Whoa. Whoa. and these like peripheral characters in the manson family and it, it's a uh, how to come across your desk uh it's it's just a writer that I'd been I'd been hearing about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something I saw some interview with Rachel Kushner. I think, and she had been talking about him as this guy who uh, you know he did a more recent book that re- was reviewed by um, James Wood called um, Pity the Immigrant. Or do, oh. do you know? What, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just probably, and um, I think the re- the thing about it is I read some an excerpt after that Wood thing, and I saw his prose style, and it's like very elegant and. Um, sort of restrained and quiet and I kind of uh, I just have a personal um, uh, sort of affinity to that style like that's mm. not like loaded with that's not very hot like full of similes and metaphors and a kind of restraint and calm and I, I guess the pro I, that was my way into that and then I thought oh this other book though topically that the pity the immigrant is about I think 
Israel or uh, something related to that, but I was much more interested in the Manson family. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went for that one. Uh, but uh, it looks really interesting for, so far. It's really elegant and I'm not sure how it comes together uh, too, too soon. And that's for that's, me an exciting thing. Yeah, that's super like, exciting. Yeah. Um, and Drew, what did you, uh, what did you I just picked up an episode in the life of a landscape painter uh, by Cesar Ira. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, it's my next book club book. and it um, Cool book club. Patty Smith talked about it in M Train as one of the books that like she was reading while she was writing that. Right. We had just read M Train a couple months ago, and we were like, anybody read any of uh, this guy's stuff? No? <laughs> All right, let's try it. What the hell? Yeah. Um, I'm, I haven't even read the like back cover copy yet. Yeah. I want to go in just completely blind of like well see what happens i've been i've wanted to read his stuff for a while um i've only read the hair and it was great he's got is that a, a novel or it's like a novella he, all of his works apparently are like these short real he short. Wor- and yeah. he has he, he puts out like a huge number of them and he likes this sort of form that again i haven't read him myself so i'm in really in your situation but through reviews etc it always sort of percolates like this false knowledge of an author you know that's really not <laughs> yeah. actually based on the text but yeah. anyway my understanding is that yeah. yeah yeah there's another short one that just came out called i think hunger that's yeah. like a it's some sort of like twist on a zombie tale oh is that right and i was like well all right sounds good to me yeah <laughs> i don't know why but for some reason when people are um in translation as he is i just always assume that they're older like <laughs> like yeah. that they're I don't know why I assume, no, right. seem a, uh, assume a vintage with but when it's it has, it does on. often I think take this there's this kind of percolation and in it, for American audiences I think because translation is not a big part of what we read right True. so yeah. I think that is that's sort of the, the kind of problem that certain presses are trying to address now and translate stuff like quickly and I think this is new directions I, I believe it is it, right yeah, yeah. and they they're pretty good about translating authors who are working right now yeah and them I, I like U- that. Europa editions they're yeah. the two yeah. like oh and Archipelago as well. But that's true, yeah. Let's also talk about your debut novel, Square Wave. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is is an incredible, it's strange would you, trip. Oh, very strange. I'm, I'm curious to know how you yeah, would I summarize know. it. I want to know how you describe it. Uh, I mean, coming up with like jacket copy for this book was like this crazy task like going back back and forth with my publisher and trying to figure out like a way and i think even now it reads really funny because I, um i think jonathan sturgeon at, at uh flavor wire had written up just a little blurb sort of on it and said this book sounds totally crazy like it couldn't possibly make sense and then he generously claims that it does in some way i hope that's true but (laughs) you'll have to decide because plenty of agents told me it didn't (laughs) so uh anyways he might just be being nice because he likes eric at two dollar radio or something but uh uh it's 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 a i mean it's a i do use sort of and not in a very self-conscious way. It just came to me sort of in, just in my own sort of intuitions, but it's sort of a historical novel on the one hand. It's a crime novel. It's mm-hmm. a novel of ideas. It's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it, it all emerged very sort of organically for me. But I think the first element would have that came to me for the book was the sort of um, detective story element of it, the, the, the crime element. So it's sort of set in the near future Mm -hmm. i think that's the main narrative thread and then it's intercut with um 
historical research of of the central protagonist in the, in the, in the book um and uh it's it's basically a, a a story of empire and a story of failed states i would say maybe that's a beginning of a oh yeah that's, a, that's <laughs> okay, a I, i'm okay. struggling I, i have to admit it is it's tricky but i do think maybe that would be one way into into talking about it yeah um i'm gonna just really quick since maybe people at home don't have the jacket copy i'm gonna read what he just said versus what is actually on the jacket <laughs> copy of the book um carl stagg a writer researching imperial power struggles in 17th century sri lanka ekes out a living as a watchman in a factionalized America where confidence in democracy has eroded. Along his nightly patrol, Stag finds a beaten prostitute, one in a series of monstrous attacks. I'm not going to go much, any further than that. No. It's, it speaks to the fact that there is actually more, and that also you didn't even really get into it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're totally right. It, it is... It is it's been uh, it's this constant frustration when people ask me to talk but they think i'm being just pretentious and being like it, it, you know the way people say poetry's not about anything or something, you know like I, like i'm saying why are you asking me about silly things like plot and character it's it's not that it, I, I, I those are very important to me I just i just i just have a hard time because there's so, so much, much of going so on much. yeah exactly and i feel like a lot of the discussion in in some of the early reviews and even just people i've talked to like they just obsess about the novel of ideas part and like that it's all ideas, ideas, ideas. And there, of course there are ideas there, but I, I think it's utterly like coeval with character and plot. Like it's mm. not like a separate, you know, thing or it's not, it's not the governing thing. It's not as if the plot and characters are there to sort of flesh out an idea, you know, it's a, it, so it, it's, it's weird though, but yeah. Um, well it's, it, it does hit so many notes. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, uh, there's, 17th century Sri Lanka. There's dystopia. Uh, yes. There's prostitute maiming. Yes. There's jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's indie rock, right? Yeah. There's a lot of indie rock. Right? So yeah. I'm sort of curious. At what point in the writing of this book did it start to feel more like a like a book and not just like a collection of ideas? Right. Well, well, he, the thing about it is, um, as I as I was sort of intimating earlier, that the the, the beginning of it was just the the failed state stuff the empire stuff both the sort of near future and the distant past as sort in a weird way though i don't know how aware of it i was at the very beginning as a, as a sort of way of triangulating the present moment in a certain way um instead of dealing directly with uh you know 2015 2016 i was sort of going slightly into the future to see where certain tendencies we could imagine them playing out in certain ways in a, in a very different way well beck you know has written a book recently that wants to talk about how certain tendencies could play out or you mm. know and then i also wanted to intercut that with some you know historical stuff about empire mm. how um how real do you think any of this stuff is and or could be cuz i reading it right now like in primary season was oddly jarring in a way that i think reading it six months ago probably wouldn't have been right no yeah we feel destabilized it, 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 i think that's true so now, factionalized yeah. as the says. <laughs> uh and, and and the interesting part of course is that uh i obviously would have had to write the book quite a while ago before it felt like something <laughs> yeah. current right? Yeah. right so you're right I, I i the way i think about it you know people talk about dystopia i guess i was thinking about st- 
states in other parts of the world, partly, that like it's dystopian for us. We would consider it sort of fanciful and such a breakdown, but it's sort of the state of play in large parts of the world. I mean, think of a place like Somalia that is just like, it is just ruled factionally. And that, yeah. you know, there are plenty of states like this. So when people talk about this dystopian trend and this sort of, I don't know, almost a kind of fetish about it nowadays, and I was sort of thinking for in the most direct way, Though I, it's not a topic I deal with in the book, uh, the civil war in Sri Lanka. I mean, that was yeah. a, just very, very recently, you know, 2000, 2005, it felt very weird to be there. I'd visited at that time and there was this feeling that like uh, so much was unknowable in the way that we take for granted. Like there's, of course, there's plenty we don't know, but over there, it's just like a complete mist of like misinformation about factions and uh, disappearings you know, mm. which are now coming out with, yeah. uh, right? right? So I, I think I was almost thinking about other parts of the world and the way that, you know, this America is not immune from the same forces that bring those things to other parts of the world. And we, you, you start to see the, that kind of fraying, I think, going on here too, yeah. Um, there was one part that I really loved, and it does go into this a little bit in the jacket copy of, um, of the controlling of the weather, of, of storm dispersal. Yes. Um, and I started to think of it almost like, like when you think of like special effects in a movie, yes. like this felt like the special effect of the book yes. um, was going into these types of things. And it, and also with the attacks, like when it's like against facades with where gargoyles falling down and things, it yes. felt like a uh, special effects. And yes. That's sort of, interesting. That's very interesting. So I was curious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a brilliant man is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> um, but I was curious like uh, when when you're writing that stuff does it feel like okay I'm going to go research this and or does it, is it come really like naturally like I know a lot about the weather and I'm going to it, it my reading life continued while I was writing the book and I was at the time um a lot of galleys were coming across my desk cuz I was at that time I was an intern at Harper's I think when mm. a galley on uh, climate control and weather modification just came by. Like they, <laughs> the interns get to pick up all these galleys, right? And and it, it I I sort of opened to a random page, and it was about American intervention in India during during um, a drought and famine in the '60s, where some of these weather modification things were first attempted and developed. And I shouldn't say first, but modern formations mm-hmm. and formulations of weather modification were, were going on there. So it sort of intrigued me. Politi- and then the book also has, the particular book that came to me first, and I went beyond that, also talked about attempted weaponization in Vietnam and certain other places mm-hmm. where there were these programs that, uh, uh, you know, d- did try to use these towards these sort of pernicious kinds of purposes. But then there's the utopian aspect of control and, and 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 relieving drought mm-hmm. right so back to back you have these like two different ways of, of taking this same technology this benign or, or or beautiful and humanistic one and then the the other side of it it just it, it, you know you you might think given my sort of background in philosophy and the sort of you would think i would structure this all very conceptually to begin with and it all <laughs> you know it, i did think that yeah it, you it, I, I, the the way the book actually evolved for me was i must say something maybe that training has a uh, uh, graduate study and all that sort of filtered into my mind in a certain way it's it just it sort of naturally sutured itself to the rest of the book so i'm reading mm. these books like on weather mod i did know a lot about music theory already but Strange, cool. strangely enough, an, an, another galley came on that. And I was like, oh, well, now think about what I studied as an undergrad, which was electronic music and microtonal scales and stuff. And so 
had that book not come across my desk, is it possible that I might may have left out? May, maybe I would have just pursued the sort of indie rock dimensions of music. And it, I, I can't even say like, mm-hmm. but it certainly triggered something. And then I, then what happened? You know, there are plenty of stuff I read that did not meld right. with this material, right? <laughs> not, yeah. You know, uh, but th- there was some stuff that just stuck. You know, in my, I guess that's something about the nature of my mind. Remember, I'm, I'm also not from the workshop system. Mm-hmm. I that's yeah. I wasn't told that there's a certain way of going about these things. I was just like, this stuff is bubbling up as as my fingers are at the keyboard. So, mm. what um, can I ask? What you were listening to, or what? Actually, even more specifically, what yeah. the sounds in the novel. Like, if we wanted to hear the music that Laurent is playing, yes. who would we listen to? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the people that I spent a lot of time listening to as, as an undergrad and then on through, you know, the last years is, is uh, people like Ben Johnston, who is a sort of mid-20th century uh, composer. He has a lot of piano etudes written for piano tuned in what's called just intonation, which is a kind of... Uh, scale derived from the actual physics of sound, the, the harmonic series that's built into sort of nat- uh, uh, naturally occurring sounds. Whereas what we, our standard scale for a piano is sort of a slightly bastardized version of that, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to do certain things, modulate and coordinate with other instruments in certain ways. But there's nothing, as, I mean, even its advocates when this, I mean, this is the well-tempered clavier, right? Back yeah. to Bach, that's when people were playing around and saying, how can we temper these scales? Just shift them a little bit to make it possible to modulate, rotate keys, that kind of thing. Um, it, so it's been going on a long time. It's almost like, I think another theme of the book is uh, buried sorts of failed revolutions of all mm-hmm. sorts. <laughs> and one of them is is a musical revolution. Just intonation, and that was being theorized by people like Newton. Yeah. Know, he had this idea for a 55-note scale that would capture the harmonic series much more accurately than, you know. So it's an ongoing tradition that has sort of been buried, and, and these characters are trying to rediscover. It's cool to hear you talk about history in all of these ways yeah because the book i'm i'm gonna toot my own horn for a second because i wrote something in a review a very this. generous review i should say thank very, you very very generous um but the idea that like this is a history of the future yes and i'm were you as you were writing the sri lanka bits yes and also all of the uh present tense action were yes. you consciously trying to create the same feeling it was, there was a, a marvelous moment i don't want to spoil it too much yeah. is why i'm kind of dancing around it where towards the end stag uh, delivers a wonderful speech that sort of culminates his sri lanka work and all of a sudden i was like holy shit yes. <laughs> <Then> like, <laughs> whoa <laughs> there was some purpose to all those <laughs> the scenes exactly right it's a weird book because i was talking about this with a friend earlier it's sort of it's sort of retrospectively as a reader uh, uh, is where sort of sense and integration and coherence comes. I think you mentioned that in your review, which in that, and I think was very true. You, you mentioned uh, very upfront, you're like, I didn't know what the hell is going on <laughs> with this book for a long, you know, there's a, a and, and that is absolutely true. And um, it's not an accident. That's, that's sort of, I, I wanted a book that a, a, only after the fact could you sort of organize these elements. Mm-hmm. I think that was in the writing too, though. You're asking me, did I, th- no. I mean, that, 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 I was, I'm almost trying to recreate a certain sense of discovery for a reader, the way I sort of came upon this, these sorts of ideas and the, and the interlinkings between them. But you mentioned an interesting idea that 
there's a whole bunch of types of histories in the book. One is the colonial and imperial stuff, but mm-hmm. then there's a history of music. Yeah, the history. Of, I hadn't thought of it that my uh, that way myself, but that's true. I mean, the the history of all these fields and what it would be to go back and and revise those. I think all the characters are kind of trying to revise, trying to 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 loosen assumptions mm-hmm. that have set in. I something like that. Yeah. Um, I I have a question that's also sort of pointed toward you. Have a essay? I think it's in Three AM uh, magazine, or that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was it's talking about a lot of different things, but mm-hmm. there there was something you were touching on of leisure reading versus the art novel and sensibility shaping that you can do inside an art novel. Yes. But I I with with um, cultural critics like. Klosterman or yes. a, a former guest on the show, Ryan Britt. Yes. I, it feels like there's a sensibility shaping that can be done by anything. I think that's true, though. It, I, I didn't maybe emphasize it enough in the book, but I give the example of Murakami, or in the in the essay, yeah. who is, as I put it, a transformative page-turner. That's what he writes. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually was not suggesting that there's a, a incompatibility. I just meant that certain kinds of... There's no guarantee for a, the art novel, a transformative novel, that it's also going to be page-turning. It can be. Some examples are, but then there's Tristram Shandy, you know, that... Isn't oh, you know like it, it? It's definitely an art novel. It's definitely very you know it 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 puts you on your heels. But it's I wouldn't say uh, <laughs> it keeps people. It's not in even intending to hold you close. It mm. wants you thinking. It's like one of our early metafictional works, right? Way before any of John Barth got to it, you know. So I, I a couple of people have mentioned that to me. Um, I I didn't mean to suggest that there's an incompatibility. Actually, I think there are writers that work that seem. Tom McCarthy is the other one I mentioned. Remainder is a good example. It is page-turning, isn't it? It's kind of chatty and fun, and you almost don't realize what's happening to you about conceptually or in terms of that reshaping Mm -hmm. until after the fact. So there are books. My book certainly is not one of those, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) For any reader who prizes that kind of immersion and page-turning quality, and that's a perfectly legitimate quality in a book, Mine probably doesn't deliver it in, in the way McCarthy or Murakami does. But mm. if you have maybe a slightly different cast of mind, I don't know. I've found one or two people who are like, but they're kind of philosophically inclined. So that's not <laughs> a good sample. So speaking about influences and things like that, uh, yeah. you've brought a book to us that you mentioned you've recently reread and that holds up. Yeah. Brett Easton Ellis's Less Than Zero. Yeah. Um, which I also reread and it does it does hold up. It was my first time. Okay. It's yeah. weird because he wrote it when he was like, what? It, most of the original draft was written when he was in high school. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Right. And then he edits it in college and gets it sold. That, yeah. When he's and he was like, like the envy of the entire, you know, literary world at that time for, for, for there's being always this a couple of wonderkind. these. I feel, you know, it's like a, I think it's Nick McDonald. He wrote that book 12. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. actually sort of similar ish. Yeah. 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 But I do feel like there is something about getting um, too successful, too young or something. Yeah. And I actually feel like this book, if you look at it not uh, if you look at it more as the autobiography novel yes. of Brady Snellis, it so explains everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it explains all of him. No, no, no. Right. This is like the key novel to understanding like everything about him. Yeah. And all his eccentricities later, yeah. all the controversy with American. Exactly. It's, it's already in embryo, right? In like certain scenes, like yeah. even certain sort of grotesque cartoonish stuff that happens towards the end. I, I was re-remembering this where they're like poking a, 
a dead body. Oh, the dead yeah. body. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, but, holy shit. I mean, it's kind of jarring, and I'm not even sure it works perfectly. But, uh, <laughs> but you see that he has these other obsessions, and they start to they start to surface towards the end, the more sort of morbid, uh, violent part of privilege and wealth. Mm-hmm. Sort of. I, I think, uh, what's the other thing? I mean, there's that crazy sex scene at the end, right? Which yeah. I don't even know if it's, you know, in the flow of... The, I, I don't know. I, reading it again, I was taken aback kind so of that's actually that's to me the most amazing thing about this book is yeah. that it is still shocking yeah it's still very shocking and and it's sort of like i don't know the the criticism of our society that we're yeah. becoming desensitized or whatever it's like this was written ages ago and it is so it still still feels very visceral it, yeah. exactly um actually this kind of ties back into your book a little bit there are scenes that are definitely shocking yes of violence of just sort of like weird sexual fetishes yeah and i i was wondering as i was rereading this and thinking about american psycho especially where like ellis really pushes it yes did you how did you come around to those ideas for you were they things that you like had a thought and were like oh god that's terrifying yeah or did you have to did you have to push it sort of like yeah i have to i have to get more shock like that that's an idea that shocks me or like oh that's interesting let me Oh, right. Like a well, horror writer, okay. I guess. Let, well, let me think about that. I mean, I mean, I, st- I stumbled into the sort of the, the sort of certain classic tropes of detective fiction, right? A lot of detective and crime fiction, right? Yeah. Involves prostitution, the, the so-called uh, the designation no human involved in cases mm-hmm. pertaining to mm-hmm. this type of character. So that was part of the, the original sort of notion and, and the idea was to, to use in an earnest way, not in a kind of sending up or with a wink, these sort of certain sort of detective tropes. And so I think it would have started there. Go ahead. No, I just yeah. wanted to, for our listeners, there's a subplot of Square Wave that um, there's a, there, the watcher, um, main character-ish guy, yes. is, um, is sort of investigating uh, a series of, of prostitute maimings. Yeah. Yes. I, I think one of the influences for that, just uh, as an aside, maybe is some stuff coming from Bologno and huh. Marias, and some of that literature, I think, had... So I didn't consciously draw on it, but I definitely feel like reading it and, and looking at that, oh, right, I have... I, that noir... Yeah, that, I mean, now that you say that, I'm thinking of that. that that book in 2666, where it's just the depictions of the exactly. beatings and the murders. where it's numbing Ooh. after, right? There's like 300 pages of it, exactly. So that stuff clearly had rubbed off in a certain way, and that, that held some kind of interest in terms of the book is about power, right? In all, in all sorts, in all sorts of ways, and about, as I say, failed revolutions, momentary dominance, and reversals, etc. So I think that that was the the origin of that. But as far as uh, maybe this, maybe this reflects poorly on my character. But it didn't seem like I had to unnaturally sort of invent. I mean, some of those scenes, I'll put it this way: uh, I had received a link from a, a high school buddy depicting some very very weird pornography mm-hmm. you know that he thought was very funny and in a way if you think of it as just in a sort of uh cartoon way, cartoonish like way like you know the way boys are you know just in a sort of masking like look at that that's ridiculous isn't that crazy that people do that and in, in, in ultimately he and i in a way when he sent it to me i was laughing too there's a kind of complicity like mm-hmm. uh, it is a kind of no human involved like look at what this person does for money isn't that comical and so you're like holy shit but this person actually, in a way, I wasn't pushing it. I was trying to make it more real and more human. Like this stuff is 
for people to send links around and I'm not blaming my friend. I mean, I, I did enjoy it in that, that cruel sort of, mm. uh, anesthetized way. Yeah. You know, a little bit like in Alice in some of those scenes where it's just like, these people are just, they're not thinking about it too much. They're just feeling that sort of surface pleasure of it. So I wanted to investigate and sort of work back to the reality and humanity of it, which in, in fact, actually made it more shocking. I, mm. I think it makes me think both of these books, um, lesson zero and square wave, there is like, there's a, this idea that um, like depiction isn't like approval of, uh, and there's there's so much there is a lot of misogyny in in less absolutely than zero. and my book and, uh, yeah, yeah yeah of course and and there and so it's it's tough to read uh, yeah. immediately yeah and and I don't and I don't know how to um, bring this into a question now I'm just talking no no, no. I mean it's it's <laughs> it, it's there and there's also passages of depiction of um, not just historical racism, but contemporary racism, some of the representation of blacks within the book and how, remember, I'm also writing through, remember, I, my, I myself am uh, Sri Lankan. And so many of my protagonists though are white. So I'm, I, I'm writing at a sort of angle and I'm sort of mm-hmm. suggesting certain other elements. Like there's a layering effect, right? I like how Ishiguro also writes white as it were. He writes through these characters and you're wondering well, what is his relationship to this character exactly? So that in a way in itself I would I would suggest now, not that I had this thought earlier, but maybe that opened up a certain distance for me to be able to imagine in a in a maybe a more hateful way that would than would have been possible had I took it as this is some representation of me and then I would be scared because it's me in some way. But here I'm almost representing a certain kind of white male privilege, I think mm. is a theme throughout the book. It's also a theme of Ellis's book. Yeah, I think very that's much. Part, yeah, I right. mean, <laughs> the, the strange thing about Ellis and like my, one of my best friends, uh, she and I have gotten into one argument in our lives and it is a recurring argument around Brett Easton Ellis. Yes. Because I told her to read American Psycho and she lost her shit Yes. And then I was like, okay, try less than zero. And the same thing happened. And I think it's because Ellis has sort of oddly made a career out of his like, look, I am this white male full of privilege yes. and I'm going to represent it. For yes, you. that's exactly right. Yeah. He, he is that autobiographical story, which yeah. I am working through indirection at. And I'm sort of gesturing at some of those same themes. And another theme of the book is that many of the characters are ex- actually extraordinarily well-educated and privileged. They're the people you would think would be able to work themselves out of racism and misogyny, but somehow it's still currency. And I, I think that's been my personal experience of certain, you know, studying at Cambridge and Brown, you would think, hey, these guys are the, the, the these kinds of people are the ones who should be least susceptible or what. But I find that racism and these, some of the things that persist on a kind of primal weird level. So I, I, I think yeah. that it was yeah. a certain fascination for me is that ed, you, you, which is a sort of frightening thought, education, doesn't necessarily sort of purge us of all these things. Knowing more and more doesn't necessarily address the, the, the basic issue or the problem of power dynamics. Anytime I read um, Brett Easton Ellis, I'm always I always get reminded that um, Donna Tart, uh, I think she even dedicated 
her first book. Oh yeah, because they were they dated history. briefly. And I, I, yeah, I is that right? Oh right, when and, they were at you're uh, right, and, you're and, right. And, uh, at the very least, they were very f- close, close friends at Bennington. Yeah, and uh, wrote together. Yeah, and I and they're just so so vastly different as writers, but I can't help but try to find echoes. And, and I was curious if you guys. I don't know if you found any anything. Well, one thing, well. if I just the thing I noticed most is the headshots of these people. They both have the <laughs> iciness of sort of that icy, distant kind of. There's something there for sure, just on that level alone. Yeah. Like there's something about the way they carry themselves, the way they like to be photographed or present themselves that is that's clearly common now. Textually, I'll, I mean, you I take feel a shot like um, the Rules of Attraction, which is his campus novel, yeah, has has odd ties to secret, secret history. history not yeah. in an overt way but yeah. in just a way of talking about the same time of life mm-hmm. yeah even in a way actually that that this book does a yeah, little bit yeah, yeah i am um, and they've both been accused of writing ya novels dressed up ya <laughs> novels no it's true like yeah, that yeah, yeah, that yeah. was yeah. Was, you know that has been an accusation i'm just thinking <laughs> the, well, that's, that's true yeah, right james wood was the, saying that the goldfinch is basically just harry potter the true harry potter that, for adults that exactly that lev Gro- <laughs> grossman was that's exactly right and yeah. people have have said of ellis there's an immaturity to this kind of writing in right. some way maybe that's a i don't know yeah it's a, it's a strange it's a strange book. It's a short book. It's very short. It's only uh, my copy is 180 pages or yeah. something. Yeah, and apparently the first draft was massive. It, Ellis, <laughs> Ellis drafts massively, and that's one of his things. I think it's from his Paris Review interview that sprawling and and so in a way this is the discipline of of, of this kind of writer, and that's one of the things about his sentences and his style that, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm, I'm sort of attracted to a kind of restraint, and I think maybe I probably I learned something from Ellis for sure. It's weird. I just started reading. Um, I do this thing every year where I pick an author who I didn't read in school. Yeah. And decide to catch up. And this year it's Ernest Hemingway. And so I just started reading The Sun Also Rises. And there's a, a similar sense of that that clipped thing of like, so then we had some more drinks. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, man, what's going on in your head? Yes. In a way that I like previously not, like not reading the two books next to each other i don't think i would have ever put hemingway and ellis next to each other yes but there's a similar sense of i don't want to talk about it right yeah. funnily enough i i i, I read uh, the sun also rises again just about a month ago just because it was lying on the shelf kind of and i also had a similar sense that the material for him i think is already so hot that it doesn't need to be addressed in reflexiveness and uh hand wringing that's what's absent from these guys yeah. the hand wringing i guess is the way i would put it i guess i just kept getting scared uh, i don't know scared of this character mm-hmm. like i i can't help but think of of patrick bateman when i read an ellis book and i yeah. just i just feel like this is this is what patrick bateman looks like before oh, like wow. i i just see i just see a lot of fear of of his own emotions and fear of of anybody around him acting in a way that he doesn't understand and like i think that fear can spiral in a in a way that's really scary i I think you're right but what what's in the bits where he allows himself to be talk about his feelings even there it's kind of indirect but there are the italicized Mm -hmm. intercuts right Mm -hmm. and that i thought was here's where he's like there's that element of nostalgia that runs through those sections i think they're yeah. almost all historical about the old house i preferred what we had then we we moved from there and life sort of fell apart for me in some way so there's 
all this frightening material, but I think Ellis does try, at least in this book, to give us a little bit of that backstory of, of what, what shatters a person this way, which is kind of interesting, right? I mean, that's not so much in, in American Psycho. We yeah, see it he here, right? Yeah, he moves away from that. Yeah, he moves, exactly, exactly. I kind of never thought I would read another Ellis book, um, and I'm glad that I I'm did. I'm so glad that we got a chance <laughs> to do it. Well, why don't we pivot and talk about another book that we want to recommend? Oh, yeah. Good idea. What do you recommend, uh, Drew? Um, why don't you start us off? The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin, Ooh. which is... I think another novel similarly to Square Wave where you can read it sort of on just like a story level, but you can also read just on an idea level. Yes. Um, I was reading it for the first time relatively recently. And Came was, out as an olive edition, didn't it? It did indeed. And that makes you read it. It does. <laughs> it, was, it was also a book club book. I've been talking about those guys a lot today. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was floored by, you know, it was written in the early 70s, came out in 74. Mm. And the way that talk about socialism and like anarcho-syndicalism is stuff that we are still talking about today. And that in some ways, it's almost more possible today than it was 45 years ago. Right. Um, So, yeah, I just and I had also never read any Ursula K. Le Guin before, which I felt ashamed to admit. But now that I've done it, I feel okay about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mark, how about you? I I was... um I recently bought a, a bunch of books, like maybe 10 or 12. I'm not going to name them all. But the book that came was at the top of the stack was this book by, um, his name is Rupert Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it's a book called The Insult. And I think this is from like the early 90s and l- more recently. And sort of in a, uh, it has a sort of interesting resonance because apparently it's, well, it was one of David Bowie's favorite books. Oh. And it's, a, you know, Bowie was a sort of famously intellectual and sort of quite highbrow in his taste, you know. So it was an interesting book to, to explore. And it's a, it's a very, uh, he's a very elegant writer and it's a very sort of almost a Kafkan kind of story of a, of a man who is um, blinded very early in the book through a kind of accident that is sort of under-described a gunshot, you know, in a, in a sort of holdup or a high, uh, carjacking. Um, and the, the book is this weird, it's a, it's a quite big book. It's about 500 pages of him sort of playing out what it is to experience the world where sight is something only understood uh, as a memory. And so uh, he wow. has he has to experience life as uh, in the in terms of the modalities of the senses left to him, mm-hmm. and um, the only way he sees in a way is uh, by remembering. And and he it's the weirdest. It's a kind of like a book about phenomenology almost. It, it's it's a weird sort of philosophical book which with no uh, explicit philosophy in it. You know, it's a wow. it, it maybe a little bit like McCarthy and Remainder, where there's no philosophy per se written into the text, as there would be, say, in Satin Island in his more recent book. It's just uh, the actual plot is sort of philosophically charged. So this is a book about blindness and what it is to sort of reestablish a life after uh, losing like this sort of very primitive, basic, primal connection to it. Wow. And you, Mr. Um, Hermelin? Well, I um, I've had this book. My roommate picked it up and then uh, has had it on our coffee table, and I finally decided to b- pick it up. It's basically a gigantic gold brick. It looks like 
And it turns out it's um, it's a sleeve that has a book inside. Kenneth Goldsmith's Capital. And it's an incredible, amazing collection of New York City research. And it's all primary sources, it seems like, in some page. I'm not even sure because, like, it's a gigantic tome. And you don't read it, like, from back to front. You mm-hmm. just sort of, like, go through. And it's it's all quotations. It's it's drawn from everything. It's drawn from television and newspapers. And, and he just has put it together and annotated it. And it's just about New York. This so is something you, recently published? Yeah, it just came out. Right, couple, I yeah. thought I heard something about it. Kenneth and then Goldsmith. You, you, and I've just been going around and, and I, I can't stop myself. I sit down and I pick it up again. Okay. Because like every time I sit down and, and have to flip to something else. He's cool. one of those controversial authors too, where like a lot of people are like, they don't connect with him or they think he's a, a sort of involved in stunts or gimmicks. So I'd like to hear someone say, actually, if you actually read the thing, you can have a response, right? Yeah. And no, and I think it is, a, it, in some ways it is a gimmick. It is a stunt because it's just... I've seen it. But like, a stunt that works. In yeah. Other words. And that's what matters, right? I mean, yeah. there's something cool. But like, I saw it at Strand and I was like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he takes everything. I mean, government documents, emails, and he just like pulls like the very, like a poetic sentence from something. Yes. Or a poetic paragraph. Or, and, and the way that he has organized it is almost part of it, of, of like what leads to what. Right. And I, I think you could probably spend the rest of your life going through this thing and finding, <laughs> finding interesting, you know. Let us like, know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my, that's my recommendation. Pick it Sounds up, good. put it on your coffee table and just let it. Love a good coffee table look. Mm-hmm. It's a, and this is one of those like really great ones. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for coming thank on the show. Thank you so much this for This has been on. so much fun, you guys. Uh, oh, good. Um, just the stuff you guys hearing your responses is just it's so gratifying to any author to hear how someone else took their work and it helps me to think about the book so thanks so much for having me cool What did you think I was going to do? I don't know. I was like, you were gonna, you I was like, was there something else I was supposed to read? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I was also feeling that actually. <laughs> and now the 12 volume series that we all read. <laughs>